Hi, and welcome back to our Bridgerton podcast, The Bridgerton Bitches. For any Harry Potter fans out there, we also do another podcast all about Harry Potter called Hogs Media, so check that out as well. We're also on Facebook if you search for Hogs Media. My name's Christina. And I'm Natalie, and join us today as we fantasise, analyse and hypothesise about our favourite costume drama Netflix TV show, Bridgerton. So let's begin, shall we? I didn't make a note of the title of episode three of Bridgerton, did you, Chris? I think it was The Art of the Swoon. She links in quite nicely with a scene that happened, so I'm going to believe you there. What were your best bits, the juicy bits about this episode for you? Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, so I thought there was quite a funny bit that I don't think I noticed the first time. But now I understand all the memes that are online. So the Duke and Daphne are in a cafe of some kind. And the Duke is eating a dessert with his spoon. And he's doing it really seductively. And Paul Daphne's just sat there watching him, looking quite confused, almost as if she doesn't get why it's hot. Did you notice that? No, I thought she was like, to be that spoon. I thought she was like really hooked. But do you reckon she just doesn't get it then? I think because she's so innocent, she was just watching him as if she was like, she didn't get why it was hot. As in like, she thought it was hot, but that confused her. How funny. Was he doing it on purpose to like seduce her? Like you could be this spoon that I'm licking. I don't know. But there's so many memes on Facebook where it's like, um, I wish I was this spoon. <laughs> and I didn't realise where it came from until I saw that episode. And I was like, oh. And there's this really funny bit where she's talking about how he'd make a great, oh, I don't know, commander or something. And he says, oh, and don't forget handsome. And he points at her with a spoon. I just love the way he did that. Yeah, I think the banter between them was one of my favourite bits about this episode. So in the first episode, they were like really off and cold with each other. Second episode, they're like hatch this plan. And it's like they're, they're in on it together. But ever since they were like, you call me Daphne and I'll call you Simon, whatever. I definitely feel like a boundary has been crossed. And they're very over familiar with each other. Like they think they're safe from falling in love because they've agreed not to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you could be right. Um, and I think later on, when the mother says to Daphne, it's easy, Daphne, just marry your best friend. And she's like, yeah, mum, it's really that easy. Just marry your best friend. And mum's like, yeah. And Daphne kind of suddenly realises, I think, that Simon is her best friend. Did you notice that in her face? I, I didn't pick up on that. I was just like, I roll. How are they supposed to marry their best friend if they're not even allowed in the same room as a man on their own? Talk about mixed messages here. Like, it's just so unrealistic, wasn't it, back then? Yeah, but um, I definitely think she kind of realised and she looks kind of shocked. Do you reckon? Uh, yeah, 100%. I felt like she was way more into Simon in this episode. I felt like there was a lot more long for gazing and lips parted and fantasizing. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, I thought you guys were cool in the last episode. I thought you'd agree, just friends. Yeah, and that's what I mean about this sense of confusion. I've noticed quite a few times she'll obviously feel something for him. And then she kind of pulls this face as if, oh no I can't or she gets confused as to why she's feeling that way 
I've noticed that quite a lot in this episode. I loved the opening scene. Do you remember that? It looks like it's really romantic and surreal with lots of soft lighting and they do that thing where they he touches her arm and he removes the glove and I was like oh it's all kicking off now isn't it and she just looks totally in love and then it turns out to be a fantasy and she's in she's dreaming I thought that was a really that was such a nice introduction because do you remember episode two was really dark with like Simon's mum dying in labour yeah yeah this was a very different episode wasn't it um there's so much happening in this episode I'm just trying to pick out some of the best bits what what was one of your best bits I loved it when they're all at that art gallery there are two of my best bits here and Benedict is like puffing this artwork like basically this is a bit of a shit show like what was the artist thinking and Lady Danbridge is standing there and she's like oh why don't you just ask the artist and he says that would be nice wouldn't it and then it turns out the artist is standing right next to Lady Danbury. Ah! Cringe, but also love it. Because I thought he was quite funny the way he was like, wouldn't that be good if we could? Yeah, like, I'm not massively into Benedict, um, but that was funny. Um, But that was more, yeah, Lady Danbury just being really cool again. I didn't really understand what he meant when he was like, oh, and it it needs, it hasn't been skied. Do you know what that meant in an artistic term? Because I didn't understand what that was. No, I really want to know now. I'm going to Google that. But whilst we do that, do you know what I thought was absolutely hilarious? And it just reminds me of what like a lot of people do. He was like trashing this artwork. And I was like, oh, okay, so, you know, maybe you're an artist. And then it cuts to him sketching further on in the episode. And it's it's not good. Like, it's hardly a masterpiece. And I was just, I was just like, oh, I see. You're one of those people that can dish it out and criticise, but you don't actually have any of your own talent. And I just thought that was really funny. No? Am I being harsh? I actually didn't. I must have looked away from the screen because I didn't see his artwork. But now I'm just imagining how funny it would be, like, if they if they went to his picture and it was just like a stick figure yeah. with, like, a tree that's drawn really badly. That would be really funny. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was like looked like it had been done by like a three-year-old in crayon, and he's just been like hunched over the office for hours and hours. I thought that'd be hilarious. Um, so I found what it means to sky a painting. Do, if you if you could hazard a guess, any idea what it means? That it doesn't have enough sky in it. Oh, okay. Um, I think it means to hang. To hang a painting. But I don't know. It may, oh, it means it was hung up so high on the wall that it could not be seen easily. Hmm, that doesn't really make sense in the context of their conversation, though. So he said it's a Regency. It, the Regency era tradition of covering the walls of paintings from floor to ceiling resulted in some of them being skied or hung up so high that they couldn't be easily seen. So what did he say then? I can't remember exactly what he said, but it implied. But if he was criticising how bad it was, that means he was able to see it properly. So, But if he's saying it hasn't been skied properly, maybe he's saying either it wasn't at the right eye level so you couldn't appreciate it properly. Oh, he might be being sarcastic. And when he says it needs to be skied, he means it needs to not be, it needs to be higher up because no one wants to see it. It might be him being sarcastic. I think it is. I think he's suggesting that it should have been skied along with like all the other undesirable pieces. Like, the, oh, 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 fair oh. play. 
birdies. I'm kind of surprised Bridgerton would use a phrase like that, which I feel, I mean, most people wouldn't understand what that meant unless you were in, like, if you worked in an art gallery. Like, normally Bridgerton keep it quite basic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I like it, though, because it really makes you feel like you're immersed in that society. And how many like costume dramas have we watched? I don't ever remember hearing that phrase before. So I quite like that they they interjected a little bit of a cultural slang or whatever you'd call it. Look at us learning. Yeah, um, just another thing that I liked is, and I know you probably won't agree with me because I actually do have quite a bit of respect for Lady Featherington because I see her as quite a strong person. And um, yes, she's cynical, but she she's not, she's a realist, I think. So for, So the bit I like is when she takes Marina to that really poverty-stricken part of town to try and scare her into realising that unless she gets married, her life is kind of ruined. And Marina is all like, you know, romanticist, isn't she? And she's all like, all I see here, all I see here is hardworking people. If you're trying to scare me, then you're you're kind of not doing a great job. And I'm like, yeah, go Marina. But then towards the end of the conversation, I think she kind of realises that Lady Featherington's right. Mm-hmm. And Lady Featherington is like, yeah, a guy will basically have sex with you but he won't deal with the consequences and unless you accept that your life's over mm. and I really liked that scene and it did make me kind of I, I do have a lot of respect for Lady Featherington what do, what do you think about that? I, I think you've got like a real girl crush on her like that was quite evident in episode one and two of our podcast that you were loving her and I was loving Lady Denbury and neither of us liked the other person's girl crush I think it was totally necessary what she did. And I did sort of inwardly groan when Marina was like, all I see are hardworking people with loving children or something. And I was like, okay, come on, like, get real. You'd probably have to work as a prostitute to earn enough money to feed your children. And mud would be your carpet, (laughs) mud and straw. So I do get what you're saying. I think it was definitely needed by Lady Featherington. The way she spoke, though, I was like, hang on, are you talking from experience? And I don't know if we've touched on this before, but I wonder if she found herself in a similar situation to Marina, had to get rid of the baby, marry again. The way she spoke, I was like, I think you've been hurt. What do you reckon? I think the same. She was speaking as if she had experience, but it could have been a sister, like perhaps she had a sister that eloped and fell on hard times. In those days, you would have to be speaking from experience because that's the only way, it's not like she could watch a TV show and figure it out. Like I feel like when she was saying, and the way she was really like quite passionate when she said, yeah, but look at the children. She pointed to these children that were like in rags. And I was like, yeah, she's right. She's trying to save Marina. Mm. That's all she's trying to do. I suppose there is a part of trying to save the reputation of her household as well. But I do think it's about rescuing Marina because, yeah, Marina could be... She's throwing her life away if she's not careful. And it's okay to romanticise it and say, oh, but they're poor, but they're happy. But it's like, yeah, once you've had to work the streets and, like, yeah, possibly become a prostitute for a couple of shillings a night, she's not going to feel the same way about it. A couple of shillings, if you're lucky. You know, we don't know what the economy's like during the time, but, you know, the Napoleonic Wars are going on, weren't they? So things are tough. (laughs) You might just get an apple, and you can't, you know, share an apple with a family. I digress. Anyway, I agree. And when you... And 
that moment where Marina gets this so-called letter from the lover, the father of her child, and she's howling. I hated that. I felt awful for her. But then when you see the flashback of Lady Featherington and her maid faking this letter saying, I don't want anything to do with the baby, pretending it's from this guy, she was saying, you know, we're doing her a favour. And I do, you know, she is, she's, she's trying hard to save Marina. And Marina doesn't really seem to acknowledge that. Maybe it's because Lady Featherington's being a little bit of a biatch about it. I think they're just very different. Like, Marina is a romanticist and Lady Featherington is a realist. So they're having that clash. But right at the end, when Marina leaves, Lady Featherington says to her, I recognise a part of myself in you, which would imply that once upon a time before she became cynical and jaded, Lady Featherington was a bit of a romanticist, just like Marina. And maybe that's how something bad happened to her and that's why she's become this person that's a complete opposite so there's another clue there I think yeah because would a lady who didn't have any knowledge of being intimate blah 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 you know would she be talking in this way about how how guys will you know use you for sex say they love you for sex and then leave you and dump you like how would a woman of her standing have that kind of knowledge about what happens when we know how protected women were the higher up the social hierarchy they were? Which, again, like you say, it does lead us to believe what, what's been her experience. Exactly. And maybe that explains why she's in a loveless marriage as well. She chose a marriage with her head, not with her heart, because of her situation or whatever happened so yeah it's quite a few clues there I'd quite like to understand her backstory a bit more well maybe we know that her husband has a bit of a, a money gambling problem like there are a couple of scenes in here where he loses money and people talk about how he's got no self-control don't they um maybe you know she got pregnant and the younger Mr Featherington owed a debt to her father and so they agreed to get married even though she was pregnant I, mean, I, I don't know but that it's an interesting um, hypothesis, isn't it? You know, what's their, what's their love story? That would 100% fit because he just all he does is gamble and make bad decisions, so that would totally work. You'd think it would put him off, though, if that had happened, um, being forced to marry someone to pay off a, a debt. You'd think that would put him off further, uh, what's it called, gambling, but... I guess it's an addiction, though, isn't it, gambling? Yeah. You know how gamble their whole lives away and empty, rinse their bank accounts and it's it's like a form of addiction so they don't really have much control over it and I well, guess that's where he's at yeah um there was another favorite scene from the art gallery part of the episode but did you have a f another favorite scene as well I'm just wondering if we've got the same scene that we both liked you you tell me what yours was because I don't know it's that scene where Daphne and Simon are standing in front of his mother's portrait and there's a little bit of banter but it's gentle and it's quite soft and they're analysing this portrait, this, well, this landscape painting that his mum loved and he doesn't get why his mum would have loved it and Daphne shows a little bit of insight and a little bit of depth and the way she's talking and then they touch hands which is basically the equivalent of nowadays of slipping on a johnny isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no I'm sorry that's inappropriate <laughs> you know they're not only are they on their own which in itself would constitute a marriage proposal because we know from episode one that a woman on her own with a guy in a conservatory was like oh got to get married now light skirts 
now Daphne and Simon are on their own, close together, and then they're intimately touching hands. I was like, what? Does he love her now? Again, though, every time they have a scene like this, they just push it away and deny it. And I don't think it's it's very conscious. I think it's a lot of this stuff's quite subconscious, but it is weird. I really like the way she talked about the painting. I thought that was lovely. Um, I was kind of surprised that he, I mean, he's obviously not a very sentimental person because he's just donated his mother's favourite painting to this gallery. And the way they said, they didn't say lend, they said donated, which which means kind of like he's given it to them. So I kind of thought, you think he'd have a little bit more sentimentality around his mother's objects, but it's like he's blocked off his whole childhood. He has no sentiment about it whatsoever. So I thought that was quite an interesting insight. Yeah. Yeah, she shows it a level of depth and then we also get to know a little bit more about him, that he is very emotionally shut off from everything to do with his childhood. It looks like he's realising that he's like he's falling for Daphne at this point as well. But I thought she was also really irresponsible, the way that she just sort of frivolously swept away the prince. Oh, there are a gaggle of women waiting for you, my highness. And I was like, wow, do you not recognise... Do you not recognise that you are literally um, rejecting a prince because of Simon? And this contradicts what she later says. You know, when Simon breaks breaks up with her, basically, he says, we were never friends. She says, I think I'm capable of determining the bounds that are appropriate. And I was like, no, sister, you're so far past the bounds. You can't see the bounds. I think I put this under my shockers about how she treats the prince. Um, she's constantly, I think, quite rude to him. So, like, he's talking to her. She laughs in his face, uh, which is rude. I'd be like, yeah, screw you. Don't laugh at me. That's rude. Um, she, He's talking to her for the second time. She looks around him and past him as if she's distracted. Yeah. Um, when he's dealing with the girl that swoons on the floor, Lady Kalpa, she laughs at him and he looks up at her. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, how is he not like this Daphne woman is a bit of a bitch? She just comes across as a bitch constantly to, towards him. And yet for some reason he likes that. Unless he's a bit of a glutton for punishment. He likes to be treated a bit bad because he's not used to it. I think it's an element of he finds her disinterest um, refreshing. But I didn't see her as rude, but I did see her as dismissive and disrespectful. And also a little bit patronising the way she was like, oh, you go off and enjoy the other gaggle of women's and women, and also the way that she almost looked down her nose um, when the other women were um, circling the prince. And she says to Simon, oh, they don't even know him. And he was like, it doesn't matter that they don't know him. And I was like, eh, eh, excuse me, Daphne, if Simon wasn't standing there right now, you'd be circling him as well, the prince. Like, why are you on your high horse? You're not married. You're not safe enough in a position to be looking down your nose at all the other women and judging them. If Prince Harry walked into a room, I think most people would, like, any kind of prince would be like, oh, like, do you know what I mean? I didn't like her attitude. I felt like she was really up herself. <laughs> I didn't like her attitude and I didn't I didn't think she treated the prince very nicely at all. Um, but whilst we're on the subject of the prince, another one of my best bits was um, when Lady Culper or Culper, whatever she's called, uh, faints on purpose to get the prince's attention. Did you see Eloise's reaction in the background? 
it was so exasperated and like eye rolly and she was just like throwing her hands up in the air and like shaking her head like what the like what the f and I just love it she just thinks these women are absolutely pathetic and I just thought her reaction was brilliant I also put that down as one of my best bits. I put Eloise's face and the lady with the huge hair swoon. She's like, what's going on? Like, it it really is like she steps back into a costume drama and she's seeing it with millennial eyes, like from our perspective, isn't she? Which I like. I've never seen that before in a costume drama. Normally everyone is of the same mindset. You don't normally have someone in it who's like, what, this is weird. Exactly. I love that because she was almost the expression was almost like, am I the only one here that seeing this? Like, are these people insane? Yeah, Um, I really enjoy Eloise's reactions to stuff like that. Yeah, I love Eloise. Well, as we were talking about um, shockers, let's stay with shockers then. So we're talking about the behavior of Daphne towards the prince. Anything else that shocked you? Um, I was... There was some of the behaviour by the prince that I didn't really like, that I put under shockers. So he's having tea with the queen and the queen is complaining that Daphne isn't interested in him. She's like, you're a prince, you should be interested. And he's kind of half listening and he thinks she's talking about something else. And he says something like, are you talking about the king? Why do they keep the king? As in, why are the British people keeping the king when he's mad? Um, he was like what's the point kind of thing and she just looks at him and she doesn't speak for a few seconds and then she just carries on with what she's saying and I was like whoa that's rude that's her husband you jerk did you notice that I noticed he made a comment but it it seemed so in passing and I noticed that she paused and I was like, oh did I hear that correctly so why would he say that because isn't that his aunt that he's talking to I'm not sure what relation they are but um, I just thought it was a very insensitive, cold thing to say about her husband, who is mad. So I was just like, okay, he's a jerk. And the second thing he does, which makes him a jerk in my eyes, is he's he's given up on Daphne. He's courting Lady Culper. She thinks they're going to get married, possibly. Um, and then when Daphne walks in in the white dress and decides to reclaim the prince, he completely drops Lady Cowper. Like he's literally stood next to her. His eyes got to Daphne. She looks at him like, oh, I've lost him. And then he's like, Daphne, will you dance? And completely ditches Lady Cowper. And I was like, you're a jerk. Yeah. That moment where they all look up and see Daphne, he can't even be asked to give a proper explanation to what she called Lady Cowper. He lazily looks towards her starts to mutter something and then just walks off and I was like there's no way you even bother to say excuse me I'm gonna return in a minute so he does have a bit of a cold streak there but I liked and I found it refreshing how when the queen was pressing her point about you should be you should be chasing Daphne he was like if the rumors are to be true then her heart is already taken so why would I why would I chase her and I like that I like that he had enough self-respect to not to not go after a woman who clearly is interested in him. So I like that myself. You found something to like in him at least. That, that one thing. So you're not a big you're not a big fan then of what's he called Prince Frederick? I just think those two bits of behaviour I, I didn't like and yeah, to, you don't just ditch somebody 
um, he was courting somebody. I just don't think that's very gentlemanly like behaviour. No, that sounded very Elizabeth Bennet of you. So, were there any other shockers for you? The way that Simon spoke to Daphne, um, the last time they'd ha- the last time they had had contact was that really intimate scene in the park where he he talks to her about how she can touch herself for pleasure and that that is a big contributing factor towards what keeps people together in a a relationship, that sexual element. So she goes away and does that and then the next day he completely cold shoulders her. He's all like, we were never friends, what a ludicrous idea, it's inappropriate and I'm going to go. And he doesn't even look at her. And I was like, oh, this is really, this is awful. And she even said, it's because of the conversation yesterday, meaning it's because she asked him to tell her about that. And because, and it's almost like she feels like she's done a bad thing. And I feel a bit sorry for her because it's like she's just learned how to touch herself. And then he's like, you're dumb. And it felt like he was breaking up with her. And her reaction was very much like a breakup. But yeah, I thought, I, I loved how he wouldn't look at her. He stared straight ahead. And it's like, he couldn't look at her because I think if he did, he would have broken. Do you reckon? Is that why he did it? Yeah, he just stared straight ahead, didn't even look at her because he knew what he was doing was harsh. And I don't think, I think he really struggled with it. I think his justification was what kept him doing it. He was like, the prince is perfect for you. And he looks at her then. He says, the prince is perfect for you. He can give you what you want. So I think he's justifying his coldness because he thinks he's helping her in the long run. Because that um, lady Danbury says to him in the coach, doesn't she, beforehand, if your intentions for Daphne aren't true, you need to let her go because you're a fool. If, well, you're worse than a fool if she gives up the prince for you and you, you're not going to offer her anything. So I did like the fact he was honourable enough to do that. Like his intentions are honourable, aren't they? Yeah, but at the same time, he said some quite cool stuff. Like he said, um, we were never friends. You're barely out of leading strings. That's really quite mean. Remember? Oh, I didn't hear the leading strings comment. That's awful. Yeah, basically insinuating she's a child. And and, and then she said, when she said we were friends, he was like, I cannot imagine a more uh, ridiculous pairing kind of thing. Like, why on earth would I be friends with you? Um, so there was... I think that's why he was looking straight ahead because he knew he was saying things that were cruel in order to allow them to kind of break up, kind of. But why did he need to resort to that? Why didn't he just say, look, Daphne, the ruse needs to come to an end. You've got the prince and I'm going to step aside. Why couldn't he have just said that? What with the, what's with the meanness? Well, he did say that. He said that. He said pretty much exactly that at the start of the conversation, but she wouldn't give up. And she kept saying why are you doing this? Is it because of the conversation? We're friends. And because she wasn't listening and wasn't accepting what he was saying, that's when he started going into like quite the cruel stuff, almost like to try and force. Yeah, it was it was harsh. It was harsh. Yeah. Can I just say, I've put this under best bits, but because we're on the topic, one of my best bits is it's, it's included in what we're saying right now. So when Daphne is touching herself in that scene, did you notice, I didn't notice this the first time, um, when it cuts away from her finishing, right, it goes to her on the piano, and at the same time as the piano finishes, she finishes, and the mum goes, you finished! Like that. <laughs> How lovely! 
<laughs> like, oh my god that's hilarious and I didn't notice that the first time I watched it yeah that's funny I didn't notice that that's really funny there's something else that I didn't notice the second time relating to that scene um that's very similar to what you just described I was just gonna say with Simon being really harsh he says you are nothing but a diversion yeah yeah so the thing that I was going to tell you about I'm just trying to scroll down and find it now oh it's so annoying so basically they were having a conversation and and he says to her um something like you touch yourself until you reach the point at, at its highest point and then there's a big pause and then he says come and then and then you come but he separates it as he's walking away he says come to finish off what he's saying Rewatch the episode it's really funny so he pauses and says when you reach your when you reach that point you then you will you have to rewatch it and see what I mean and I was like oh my god this is horrendous I can't believe he just said that Mm. but I don't know if that's something I don't know if that was done on purpose or if it was an accident it's probably on purpose I would have thought especially Um, you're saying about the mum saying you finish that's lovely yeah Mm. it was messed up um what other shockers do you have do you have any more I thought it was shocking how Marina says to the guy that Mr and Mrs Featherington are trying to get her to marry and he looks gross to be fair he looks very unpleasant and not a very nice person she says I certainly was not addressing you and then he's all like never have I met anyone so beautiful on the outside and such a horrible countenance or something and I was like Marina have you completely forgotten the fact that you're totally screwed right now yeah, I thought that was rude of her because at the end of the day, I mean, the guy was gross. The way he looked her up and down when he first meets her, I find absolutely repulsive um, and quite perverted. So, yeah, maybe he did deserve it, but I think she could have handled that a bit better. Yeah, agreed. But they were most of my most of my shockers, really. Yeah, we can move on to what was it? The eye rolls or the questions? What do you think? Eye rolls. Um, sorry go on just a little mini eye roll is when Mrs Featherington is like or Lady Featherington is like saying to um, what's the name of her daughter who's always wearing yellow has got red hair Penelope Penelope you're converting with the expectant and I thought it was both funny and awful that she would talk to Marina in that way uh, yeah I thought that was quite clever though she comes up with some statements sometimes or like metaphors that I think are quite clever yeah um how about you what what eye roll moments did you have from here um I had quite a few but I'm going to start with this one so I love 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 Sienna and Anthony I think they've got brilliant chemistry I love their story they're in this episode quite a bit there's this brilliant gorgeous scene where Anthony goes back to the theatre behind the scenes to see Sienna and she's like no 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 I'm not interested you've broken me too many times and he's begging her and he's like 
he grabs hold of her and he's like trying to hold on to her and she tries to walk away and then she delivers these lines where she's basically saying you know you've you've made so many promises you've broken every one and the lines are really good but the actress just delivers them really wooden as if she's reciting them from like literally reading them off a piece of paper did you notice that and I was quite disappointed by the delivery I know what you mean but it's funny because she is reading them off a piece of paper like how else would you like her to read it (laughs) but like I want her to read it like she's a good actress like that's what I want and what I hate is I really loved the the script and I loved that scene but it was just a little bit disappointing because it just sounded a bit wooden. Mm. It just it frustrates me when you have a couple like this where love clearly isn't an issue, the chemistry isn't an issue, but he just won't make it work. Because I think that's so rare, isn't it, to have a relationship like that and for them not to make it work, I find it incredibly frustrating. And he could make it work because this is what I don't understand. His father is dead. Therefore, his father cannot cut him off from his inheritance. His inheritance is his. He's inherited it already. So what is the problem? Worst case scenario is the reputation of the family would be slightly ruined if he married an actress. But it could happen. And people did do that. Guys did marry an actress and it caused scandal and stuff, but they still married them. So it pisses me off when Anthony's like, I don't have a choice. I can't marry her. It's like, nope you can you can do that you can't be disinherited Anthony and it's not like he's the only son so it's not like the responsibility couldn't pass down to either one of the other sons who could then also sire an heir and it just makes me sad because he clearly is desperately in love with her but again the way he spoke to her in the previous episode really put me off him dismissive and cold and he talked down to her as well do you remember when he had sex with her? But again, it's very similar to the way the Duke broke up with Daphne because Anthony also did not look at Sienna. He looked straight ahead and he wouldn't look at her as he was breaking up with her. And it reminded me of the way the Duke did it. And he does that because I think he knows that if he looks at her, he won't be able to follow through. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a real shame, really frustrating. So for you, the eye roll moment was her acting. I, I I see what you mean. I don't think I felt it as strongly as you, but I can see what you kind of mean. I just think she's incredibly beautiful, so I was distracted by her beauty. I just I just really liked her. Um, she, and I, she is beautiful, but I will say, I was watching this on my phone last night, and my partner, Connor, was in the same room, and even he, before I even said anything, he was like, oh, my God, that actress is bad. Oh, Really? And I was like, no, she's normally good in the rest of it. It's just this scene. So I don't know what happened in this scene, but it all went to hell, basically. <laughs> oh, it's so I funny. No, she really no, no one's listening. You don't <laughs> worry about that. It's just us. <laughs> what was one of your eye rolls then? I was so eye-rolly when, ah, the Duke is talking to the brother, Anthony, and he says, I would never make a fool of a woman. And I was like, excuse me? Yes, you are. You made a fool of Daphne by breaking up with her in the middle of the street and not giving her, well, not in a very nice way. But more than that, you make out with her in the garden, touch her boobs, 
totally basically getting very intimate with each other but you had no intention of marrying her so you do make a fool out of her just like her brother worried you would so that made me eye roll a little bit I was like hmm Simon know yourself you're right he ends up doing the very thing Anthony knew would happen that is disappointing isn't it yes absolutely and there was another thing I don't know who said it, but they said to a woman, the things I know are not for your ears. Was that Anthony to Daphne when they were getting the milk and she wants to ask him about the Duke? Yeah, that's it. She's asking about the Duke. And I was like, I roll. She's not a baby. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Talking of the milk situation. So you know how in the other episode I was saying how annoying it is that Daphne speaks in a way that sounds really contrived and not natural Mm -hmm. and I understand it's partly the script it's written in a particular way but you know when you watch normal costume dramas the actors make the way they speak feel really real and the other characters are much better at this and for some reason Daphne just always sounds really unnatural and like almost overly formal and in this scene it made me cringe so um she says to Auntie she can't sleep and she goes a bit of warm milk shall help matters. And I was like, why are you sounding as if you're talking to the Queen of England? This is your brother. It's like midnight. It sounded so unnatural. It just made me cringe. Um, and she does this throughout the series. It's really frustrating, but especially in this scene. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed that it felt stilted, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And it it felt like they were strangers. And I think, again, this is why Eloise gets so annoyed with her, because she just isn't real. It's like, just take a break. Just be more cash. Be more casual. Also, gross, but she gets this pilcher of water. I don't know what you... Milk. She gulps. And then I was thinking, are you going to finish that? Because you've just backwashed into that communal bottle of milk. And... I'm guessing the maids are going to pour that on everyone's cereal tomorrow. Like, not cool, Daphne. She'd be the worst housemate. A hundred percent backwash city in that jug. Um, Yeah, definitely. How rude. And the fact, like, neither of them knew even how to light the stove. So I think they just don't understand how to be normal people. Like, pour it into a glass, Daphne. Like, just because the maid's not there to do it for you, you should be able to figure it out. Yeah, and where have you ever seen anyone drinking milk like that? You you don't... That's gross even by... Not gross, but it's not, like, nice manners, is it, if it's communal? Yeah, although I have 100% seen you do that, so you need to get <laughs> off the house a little bit. <laughs> I was just thinking that, and I was like, yeah, but I don't live in a house with, like, eight other people and non-family members. <laughs> We've all done it, haven't we? Well... Um, you shamed me. I get that. I've outed you. You happy now? Uh, <laughs> well, part of this scene, which is also done on my eye roll, is Daphne, as usual, is so self-absorbed and self-centered. Me, 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 me. That as she's having this conversation with Anthony, Anthony makes this comment like, um, "We can't always have what we want," and he sounds sad. Instead of going, "Oh, are you okay? Like, what's going on with you?" completely doesn't even notice because she's so self-absorbed that her own brother is struggling 
And this is, leads me on to something else, is that the family just do not talk about personal stuff. No one opens up about their feelings or, or, any, or anything, do they? I agree. I also noticed that not only did he sound sad, he looks sad. He does like his little, he does his little gaze. And I was like, come on, Daphne, read the room. Be there for someone else. And it's like with Eloise, when Eloise opened up to Daphne about her fears of giving birth, instead of like listening to Eloise, I felt like she just went into like, everything's going to be fine and it's going to be unicorns and rainbows and light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, be there for your sister, like show an interest. And she's Mimi. I'm going to call her Mimi from now on because that's all she thinks about and it's getting on my nerves. Yeah, and the way she was like, oh yeah, oh this made me cringe when she's playing the piano and Eloise was like, I'm trying to read and Daphne's all like, you can take your book elsewhere and I couldn't help but feel, I don't know whose side I was on, but did you feel, who do you feel was more in the right in that situation? First time I watched that scene, I was like, God, Eloise, you're so defensive and you're attacking Daphne and it's unnecessary. The second time I was like, hmm, I don't know. Because I thought Daphne was being a bit of a dick. And then when Eloise was like, why are you implying that it's stupid of me to read? And she was just like, oh, Eloise, I wasn't. But then I'm like, actually, Daphne, I've never seen you with a bloody book in your hand. Like, now I'm thinking she's quite shallow. I don't know. I think, I don't know. I quite enjoyed that they were bickering. I don't know why, though. (laughs) You're one of those people that when there's a row or a public argument, you're like, you're like flocking like a seagull to chips. And I've said, watch it, you're not even blinking. I'm like, Chris, seriously, you're going to get us thumped because you're literally like <laughs> eyeballing people. You love the drama. I thought Eloise was a bit defensive. I was like, oh, Eloise, come on, give it a rest, love. <laughs> we get it. You like to read. But like, I feel like you are very sensitive to criticism. You read into stuff that Daphne says. So I actually got why Daphne was like eye rolling. But, um, but... They just don't, and then I thought, then I thought Eloise felt bad because Daphne was like, I'm just going to do my piano. And Eloise was like, at least give it a name. And I was like, okay, I feel like you're backtracking because you feel bad for being a bit mean. And now you're making out that if it had a name, it would be better. Yeah, but I didn't understand that when she was like, just give it a name. Okay. As long as it has a name. And I was like, I don't get it. Why does it need to have a name? Is it because the piano represents her sexual frustration? Because when she does touch herself and reaches whatever feeling that she likes, it's at that point that she does then finish the piece and then's ready to give it a name. So maybe that is like a symbol of her trying to figure out the emotions and stuff and not getting that closure yet. Clever. That's very insightful. Fair play. I've been practicing. You'd be right. Yeah. Thank you. I like stars. And um, uh, me, that was all the eye rolls. Do you have anything else? My old eye roll was that was it. So you know how I really awkwardly try to explain the scene with Simon and Daphne talking, and I really messed it up because I couldn't find it. I put the conversation that they have on the bridge as a bit of an eye roll because I thought it was a little bit cheesy. So he says to her, this is what you should do. You should touch yourself. And then he says, that should help you. Pause. 
as he walks away, he says, come. And I was like, yeah, because I did not notice that the first time. Honestly, rewatch it. I was like inwardly cringing. I just felt really, I just couldn't believe it. I was really shocked. It is a really cringy scene. If you were to mute that scene and watch it and look at Daphne's face, it looks like she's in a horror movie. <laughs> For some reason, the the expression she chooses is like absolute horror. <laughs> Overkill. And it looks like they've put Vaseline on her lips. Like literally they've stopped filming every five seconds to reapply Vaseline. I could not stop looking at her lips. And really? she does really scared, yeah. Yeah, she looks terrified. And I'm like, why have you chosen this facial expression and not like embarrassment or surprise or intrigue, but absolute abject terror, which I thought was weird. Maybe something a couple of bits like confusion or. (gasps) Yeah. So the other thing. Is that made me eye roll a little bit. No, nothing. Oh, I put the scene where the prince basically blows off the blonde girl. Um, That was it, really. One of my favourite scenes that I totally missed out, and I adore this scene, is when Daphne commands the attention of everyone in the room. She walks down the staircase. She looks like an angel. She looks so beautiful. I was like, I think I'm in love with Daphne. And she's got like a bit of a sass about her. Like she's walking down the stairs, she's really working it, drops her little fan. And I'm just, the whole time I was watching as well, Simon's face, he looks pissed. Like it hits him what he's lost. And I love that. I love a bit of jealousy. I will say it was clever. She was the only one wearing white. Her hair, the one time in this whole show, I actually liked her hair because he did it nice. Um, But I just didn't like her at that point. So that whole scene where, again, it's me, 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 look at me, I'm so special, I'm so confident, I just didn't particularly like that because I was like, I don't know if I actually like her as a person. And that whole scene was almost the epitome of all the bad traits that I don't like in her. Um, Yeah, so it did look cool, like, visually. There was a grabbiness about her, the way that she was like, I'm going to get me a prince, do my hair the way you like it, I'm going to wear the white. And I was like, oh, you're quite savage. What happened to marrying for love? Now you're just marrying for money. You're no better than those girls that you you look down your nose at who were showing interest. And I did feel a little bit like I couldn't relate to her for that whole clicking my fingers and he's going to come to me because I'm so hot. That's the vibe that we yeah, totally screwing over Lady Culpa. And she doesn't give a shit that she's just broken her heart. Or, okay, he needs to have some of the blame too, but she does not care. And Lady Culpa comes up to Daphne, or the mum does, and says, you've taken away what was mine just because you felt like it. So, yeah, I don't know if Daphne's a nice person. I'm not I'm not thinking she is. The more we talk about it, the more I feel that she is quite shallow. She's quite, you know... She says she's boundaried and then she's inappropriate with Simon. And I feel like she sort of uses him to gain more popularity. And then the way she just switches it off and goes for the, the prince just seemed really... She's playing with his emotions. She's toying with him. And then you can't say, I want a, ma- a love match. And then she gets all these people dancing with her. Yeah, she's dancing with all these guys, isn't she? And she's asking them questions. And to be fair, they're like, I've never thought of that before. Or 
my mother's going to live with us. And the whole time she's like pulling faces at Simon, like, oh, what a douchebag. And I was like, if this was roles reversed and she was a guy doing that to a woman, we would be like, what an a-hole. At least look at a woman when you're dancing with her. Why are you writing off all these women? Because they're not answering your questions the way that you want them to. So you're right. She isn't. She's very pretty. Got to say that. But also her questions were lame. Like they were really, really boring. Like she was acting like she was this great wit, like this great uh, conversationist. But they're all so lame. And I was like, Daphne, your questions are really boring and lame. Do you prefer the country or the town? Um, like I'm like, oh, fascinating. I'm going to stay up all night and have a chat with this woman. Like none of her questions were like that insightful. She's not like an Elizabeth Bennett where she's really witty. So I was a bit like, get over yourself. You're not that special. I think that should be the title of this episode because I felt that way when she was talking with Simon and then talking about all the women crowding around the prince. I was like, get over yourself. You're no different. You're worse because you're actually executing this whole uh, charade to engineer a marriage. But I think she's quite dismissive of the guys that she was dancing with, looking down her nose at them. And I was like, uh, I would like to see you answer some of their questions. We haven't seen that, have we? Like, what? maybe they asked you really profound questions about astronomy or theology. And you were like, oh, I, I hadn't thought of that before. How would you like that? She's never read a book. So let's face it, does she know any, about anything? Like, I think Eloise would be able to have a really insightful, deep philosophical question with the smartest guys in the room. Daphne wouldn't be able to because she's she's not, you know, she plays the piano forte. She probably does a bit of embroidery, but she's not a reader, is she? She is a pretty face. Yeah, I suppose so. And that's, yeah, that's why her and Eloise kind of conflict. Um, I just, she does have good banter with Simon though doesn't she when she says someone's angling for a promotion and I was like oh I like a bit of banter a little bit but I still I'm not that impressed with it like I, I thought it was okay um but I think there's there's normally a lot better like um should we move on to the quote section I already gave away my favourite quotes when I talked about my best bits and my cringe moments. But do you have any quotes that you liked? I just have two. So I'm talking about the dance scene when Daphne's dancing with these guys. One guy says this quote, and I definitely think it's a euphemism for dick size. So he says, (laughs) my ancestral home is quite large, much larger than others in the area. And I was like, well, that's clearly a dick thing, isn't it? Because you know, it's like I've got the biggest one kind of thing. Oh, OK, I did not pick up on that, but that's a good point. And this is my favourite one. I love it. And it's from Eloise. And she's talking to Benedict outside when she's having a fag. And she says, if you desire the sun and the moon, you just have to shoot at the sky. I like that. Isn't that lovely? Because she's saying to him, all these things I want, I can't have because I'm a woman. You can have all of it. And you're not even doing it. You're not even trying. And you're sitting there complaining. Well, just go and bloody do it because I can't. Go and do it for me kind of thing. I love that. I think at the time I felt quite inspired by that because it, it also reminded me that that applies to us in the here and now, doesn't it? Like 
we live in a cultural society where we are lucky enough to have lots of freedom and we've got the choice to do a lot of things and the only people stopping us are ourselves and I guess that's a little bit like um this dude the the, the brother I always forget his name Benedict Benedict just think of eggs like eggs Benedict if I think of eggs there I'll call him omelette or sunny side up that's his new name sunny side up <laughs> okay well is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap this episode up yeah I've got some questions for you uh so number one what do you think that you know when the dressmaker is fitting Marina for a dress and she's like oh la la the dress is too small and then she gets this wooden thing and shoves it down Marina's top or corset do you know what that was it looked like a ruler I thought it was a way of separating the the breasts out just just so that they look a certain way in those times. Uh, okay. Is that not it? Did you look it up? I tried. I put. I kept googling what's the ruler thing they shoved down Marina's dress in Bridgerton, and surprisingly, despite that very specific question, nothing came up. So I thought I thought you might know, but I think that sounds like a legitimate guess. If anyone listens uh, to this, I think. They push the boobs up and apart for some reason, um, which seems odd because you, you think you'd want to squish them together. But if I, yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know. That's so funny. OK, so, you know, the scene where Anthony Bridgerton is talking to Simon, the Duke, and they're having one last chat about what are your intentions with my sister? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to mess her up. And then. Anthony Bridgerton sees his ex, the opera singer, walking into the room. He gets up and leaves the Duke on his own. So why does he get up from the table, walk over to a different group of friends? Like, why did he do that? Why didn't he just say sat down with uh, the Duke? He didn't want Sienna to see him. He's hiding from her. Oh. He sees her. He's basically hiding. And she doesn't see him, does she? She walks straight past and goes to the Duke. So she doesn't even see Anthony get you I get you okay and I was always going to say to you where does Eloise get her cigarettes from like what's the situation there do you reckon from the maid I wonder or I thought I just thought maybe she went into like I would imagine Anthony on his desk has a bit of a cigar case or like a cigar box in those days so she's probably just snuck into there and taken some Okay, because I've never seen smoking in a costume drama before. Yeah, I don't know much about what cigarettes they would have in Regency times. I know in Victorian times you could you could get little cigars and cigarettes. I don't know. I wonder if it's the same in Regency. I'm guessing they've done their research and they did have pre-made cigarettes. I guess we know that the Queen was like snuffing snuff wasn't she so the tobacco existed so in fact for a long time they just used to have pipes before cigarettes came in you'd literally just put your tobacco in a pipe and smoke it so I I would have guessed that kind of manufactured cigarettes would have come in in Victorian times but I'd like to think the show would be quite accurate with stuff like that yeah because I guess they could have equally they could have used a pipe couldn't they she would have looked pretty stupid, though, smoking a pipe, right? Yeah, stupid or cool. I do love a pipe. 
I just think she wouldn't have it wouldn't have looked as cool I don't know it would be like a cool kid down the park getting some cigarettes and then whipping out a pipe that'd be quite funny wouldn't it yeah my other question for you was when the Duke and Daphne are in the dance hall together and a guy approaches Daphne he does a little sigh of annoyance and then he turns his head and then he sees a couple of women checking him out and he says must I share your attention with every moon eye dandy at that point is he genuinely jealous or is it still a ruse it's fake because he does it, he says it so loud he, he he lifts the the pitch of his voice he he says it really out loud and over the top so he's just he's doing his job because he's supposed to the more jealous he is and the more he desires Daphne, their plan, they think, oh, more guys will desire you if the Duke desires you. So it's all part of the ruse. Okay, that's a shame. Um, do you think that Daphne is asking too much of her suitors? Because she does get like four proposals and still says I, no. I think the reason is supposed to be because she's actually in love with Simon, but she doesn't she's not aware of it or she's not consciously accepting that and this has been the same with Simon he's very clearly in love with Daphne but he's not accepting everything they do is I think on a subconscious level or they're denying it and I think the reason she's turning down all these guys is because deep down she's in love with Simon oh well I wonder how long she would have gone on with this ruse then I mean because that could have gone on forever uh, what would it have ever fin- have finished well, I think it was always destined that they would just make out. That was always going to happen. They they kept getting closer and closer. The hand thing, like you said, was putting on the Johnny when they were touching hands. And it resulted in them getting off together in the garden. And, like, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? I guess so. It just, yeah, it just seems so silly to me. Also, just one last comment. Um We find out that Simon uses brothels because Anthony makes a comment about how they... He was like something about brothels and not wanting that for his sister. Do you remember that? And I was like, oh, Simon, I don't want you to have used brothels. You're a gentleman. Those days, you didn't have a choice because he's not going to, otherwise he'd have to be a virgin. It's, it's not like you could have a girlfriend and date and have sex with them. You could not have sex outside of marriage. So what choice did guys have in those times? You had to you had to get with a prostitute if you wanted to have sex. And also that scene in episode one, where they're at the pleasure gardens, and Simon is walking from like the dark walk, they call it, into the main part, and he's doing up his cufflinks. If you look online, it says in the script he's just basically had sex with a prostitute on the dark walk. Oh my god. Yeah, that's what he was doing. Is the dark walk like an actual garden where you've got like prostitutes like loitering around trees or was it connected to like an alleyway or a street or something? I, d- I don't know, but it was apparently it was a real thing for the pleasure gardens. That dark walk was a real thing. And yeah, that's where the prostitutes would hang out. This is so rude. So he met Daphne and then he obviously kind of leaves the party to get his end away and then comes back. That's kind of like, that's kind of gross because he hasn't washed his hands. So he's going to get some punch and then he's going to have God knows what on his hands. And that's I think it's actually kind of hot 
And I wish they had shown us the scene where he's with a prosy and then comes back to the party because I just think, you know, he's a hot-blooded guy. It would have that. It would have been fun for them to have made it more explicit and compare the different worlds. And because I didn't even know that was a thing. You don't see that in Pride and Prejudice. Are you telling me that Mr. Darcy would have used a prostitute? I would have thought most men in those days would have. Very few would have been virgins when they got married. And I think it would have been common for like older brothers. And Anthony says that to um, Colin. He says, I failed as an older brother. I didn't take you to sow your wild oats. And now you've just married the first girl you fancy. This is my fault. (laughs) So I do think it would have been like the older brother. Come on, we'll take you down the local brothel. At the same time, like it was dangerous. Like they could contract syphilis and STIs and stuff. So it's not great, is it? Like Simon could have had all sorts. How did he not? Mm. And now Daphne does. Spoiler alert. I don't know if it's the editing in the next episode or whenever it happens, but it doesn't seem to me that Simon lasts a very long time. And if you find out your husband's been in a brothel, you would at least hope that he would have gathered a bit more stamina. That's possibly, you know, one of the only benefits of being with someone that's had lots of brothel experience that they hopefully learnt how to last long enough to give you pleasure. I mean, it just doesn't seem to me like he's got a lot of self-control. Then again, maybe like in a brothel, you'd want to be quite quick. You don't want to hang around. You just want one and thank you, ma'am. So maybe he's just learned the quicker the better. Yeah, but if you've paid, if you've paid, I don't know. It depends. Is it per hour? Because if it's like, my... per go. Well, if it's per, per go, ride. Yeah, if it's per ride, then you'd want to make it last for a really long time. If it was per minute, I totally <laughs> You're right. It yeah, like, surely for a guy, it's enjoyable whether it's 10 seconds or five minutes, right? It's only the woman that needs it to last longer. So you're not going to pay a woman and be like, I'm going to make sure you have a good time, love. I'll do a nice 20 minute ride. Like you just be like, I I just need to get my end away, please. Here's, here's a shilling. That's awful. Because then when they're with their wives, are they going to still have that mentality? They're not even going to think about maybe not like maybe they wouldn't even understand that a woman gets pleasure from it I don't know well obviously he does but well they never used to did they did did they not realize that women found it pleasurable for a very long time it was believed it was purely for like um having kids yeah but apparently like I know in olden days sometimes they thought a woman couldn't conceive unless she had an orgasm so that's an interesting side to it. That is interesting. We don't see Simon doing anything for her, for her pleasure alone, do we? He does go down on her, though. Oh, yeah. So how... he doesn't, he walks off halfway through, which I didn't really understand. I thought it was a bit weird. Is that like a power thing? <laughs> maybe I don't know now make me a cup of tea if you want me to finish <laughs> <laughs> oh we've digressed a little bit for the next episode haven't we but you know oh well heads up now what's happening so shall we wrap that up and then we'll be back soon for episode four is the next episode isn't it yeah episode four 
Great. Well, please subscribe to our podcast, Bridget and Bitches, um, and we will release episode four soon. Hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. Bye.